Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, your... heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Well, everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Here's to getting back together. To planned lunches and unplanned cookouts. To grandma's recipes and smells that take us back. To passing down plates and traditions. Here's to warm embraces and familiar faces. To your best friends becoming best friends. To scheming, dreaming, and food still steaming. Here's to laughter and love. To growing closer than ever. For all of life's get-togethers. Chinette, here's to us. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring In The Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring In The Closers. Ryan Ray alongside Ben Samuels. Ben, how's it going? It's been an interesting couple weeks. Um, Had an eventful last week, and uh, it's been good actually to be back in Midland. Was in Houston for a couple weeks for some conferences and... uh, dealing with the the follow-up from that which is always intense uh but all good what about you what's going on uh, in your part of the world um i am waiting hopefully you're supposed to find today about my trip to africa so hopefully we'll find out about that so um when do we think that's happening uh two weeks three weeks something like that so quick <laughs> need to find out soon <laughs> or i won't be there um i mean at least you're not going to italy or south not, korea I, or not. japan or china i could keep going but. yeah Am I supposed to be? Are you going to those places? I don't know. Are you? Are you going there? No, but oh uh, no! Italy just put out like a travel advisory ban just like yesterday. Never mind. Oh, Keep going. One of the countries I'm going to, I did see there's a, a case of coronavirus there. So, you know, it's like. So I'll, if uh, I was curious, actually, um, I'm not that we were going to spend any time on it, but uh, I know that you put out some on a post a couple weeks back and uh, was able to raise um, some amount of dollars to uh, send, I believe, 500 masks overseas uh, um, but I know you're working on something a little bit larger were you, uh, were you able to uh, to update us on anything going on yeah 500 was a little are? low it was 500,000 but you know this, this is that not what it said I meant 500,000 <laughs> I'm yeah. just giving you uh, yeah. I know what you meant yeah. yeah so thank you to everyone who contributed to that so I put out a post on LinkedIn and they initially were able to get 500,000 masks I think the total ended up being at 2.5 is that what I said the other day yeah, two and a half million. Two point five million masks are going to China to help with the spread of the prevention of spread, or however you want to say that other coronavirus. So yeah, thanks to everyone who contributed to liking and sharing. And you know, really, that was my involvement. Was they asked me how I said, how can I help? And they said, can you get the word out there? And I said, so folks like yourself and others, I just created a post and said, hey, can you like, comment, and tag someone and share? And through that, it was uh, people started commenting on it, and um, the right people. You know, we're, we're, we're able to be found, and boom, there it was. And so I, my work was very minimal, but it's kind of one of those things where when you think about opportunities in life, sometimes, you know, I'm not making any money off that. I don't get any, you know, not, not getting a commission, nothing like that. But even if it was a for-profit venture, sometimes it's just a simple question of, well, w- what can I do? Instead of saying, because the, the backdrop of that conversation was, hey, all the China deals that you're working on are being put on hold like for the year, like may not come back around until the coronavirus things wrapped up. And that could be the end of the year. Um, and so that was kind of the backdrop. And so I just, you know, and again, that might not give myself an attaboy. I'm just, just saying how it went down. Like, okay, well, is there anything I can do in the meantime? And yeah, could you just spread the word about the mask? Like, sure. And obviously you um, obviously volunteered to contribute and other folks, um, you know, came in. And so it was a, it was a very nice uh, gesture. And, um, you know, just, it's, it's funny just how your connections on LinkedIn work, you know? <laughs> if if the algorithm will actually put your post out there, it's funny what what you can get done. Oh, let's let's not t- talk about the LinkedIn algorithm, please. Uh, uh, actually, I mean that that leads me into another question. I'm curious. I mean, uh, you know, you definitely have your finger more so on the pulse of uh, of China, kind of what's going on there with, with your connections out there. Is there anything at current that uh, you know people stateside that might want to you'll be helping with with what they've got going on over there? Is there anything that we can be doing or or uh, just just call you or what's uh, What's the play? Yeah, I am taking checks now. Now it's checks. So check or preferably cash or Bitcoin. 
Um, yeah, so just send that to me. I'll make sure it gets taken care of. Uh, on a serious note, no, I don't know. You know, um, I don't. I'm not in the medical supply or mask space. I don't really know much about what's going on. Um, it does feel like, from the folks I've talked to, that if you're thinking about international business with China, that unless you really have a kind of supply chain already built in, you know, you're trying to get started now. If you were counting on that as being your 2020 driver, you're probably going to be in trouble, you know, unless, again, you really have um, some real um, baked-in type connections and stuff just because of what's going on. Um, Some of the stuff we were looking at was October, November, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're not even talking about that anymore now. So um, so until that kind of, you know, wherever that lands and and stabilizes, um, you know, for the startup, new folks who are interested in that space, it's probably going to be a while before you, you, you... you, you see the uh, the willingness to come back online. Do you have any uh, any insights on uh, you know I, I know that uh, China has been talking about especially you know through Surge and, and some other companies they've been talking about making more of a domestic footprint in the energy space. Have you heard of anything on, on that front, or is, is that kind of similarly yeah just kind of installed that, 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 yeah, yeah so um, the deals we were looking at were were twofold stuff going to China and then a lot of stuff coming here investing here in the states and even that was no we can't we can't look at it right now. And, you know, you start thinking about it. If you think about, you know, how deals work and it kind of makes sense, well, you know, there's 70-something airlines, I think it is, that have either canceled flights or diminished their flights coming to and from China. Okay, so getting over here, and if you get over here, you know, we got to be practical. There's people who probably wouldn't want to meet with folks from China because they're afraid of getting the virus, or I don't know what the government, what our government's doing to screen people. So, you know, it, it gets into even the, you get the high, obvious level, but then you get the practical level, and then you probably have people who have friends and family in China. And so there, there's a lot of things that are going on, and... Um, how long it'll last and stuff, I don't obviously know. But, yeah, I think you're going to see, again, unless you really have, um, you know, you're like Walmart or something like that, you know, you kind of have it already baked in, you're going to you're gonna see a hit. But even you look at, I think it was Apple that was announced the other day that their, that their stuff is, is hurting because of what's going on in China. And um, it's going to be interesting to see with the phase one trade deal, what shakes out because, you know, um, they got to start buying the soybeans and all that stuff. So we, we got a little while before all of that comes online. But, um, how long these implications last, I think, will be interesting. Um, the, I guess the positive note, if there is one at the moment, is um, while from a policy standpoint, it's not my, my, my preferred policy, the, the Chinese government does seem to be doing everything in their power to prevent it from spreading. So that might um, lessen the spread um, or, or keep it from spreading and, and may wrap this thing up sooner rather than later. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. You know, I, I don't want to get into the politiz- politicization of media, but uh, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is that there seems to be, I mean, this story seems to obviously have made you know, worldwide headlines, and there seems to be a number of narratives or, you know, kind of circulating around it in terms of, um, you know, how fast it's spreading, how, how deadly it is, all, all of these things. And it's been, it's been kind of interesting to, to watch from the sidelines of, you know, because I, I don't have any, any footprint in, in China or, or really any, any of the places that have been affected um, do, do you have any? Do you have any comments on any of that? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's hard to under. It's hard. So when you deal with China in general, the rule of thumb is whatever the numbers they're reporting are, you always kind of have to look at them. And I would say this about any government, but obviously China, whatever the numbers are, you have to kind of look at it. And go, eh, okay. But then if you're dealing with a, what is a, a new virus, something that they'd never detected before, if you look back for a week and a half ago, I think it was, they said, well, oops, we weren't diagnosing people properly, and we've you know, doubled the cases or whatever it was now that we've been able, they'll be able to diagnose it. And then you also look internationally. I think it, there's a country in Africa, I think it was Zimbabwe maybe, where a lady there, they thought she had it, they tested her, they gave her a certificate saying, hey, you're free and clear but we're going to quarantine you anyways. You know, we're going to go put go go stand in the corner until we decide that that certificate's actually good. So, you know, I, I think I I think two what was it? Uh, we put an article out in Xinhua uh, a few weeks ago from the yeah, World Health Organization. Two, maybe 3 weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, and they were sending tests to how many countries? 70 countries? 72. Yeah, they were sending China was sending uh, um, you know, I guess the virus or whatever it is to 72 different countries to start expediting the testing procedures. To figure out, you know, vaccinations, you know, um, medicine to, to combat the virus. Obviously, you can't cure a virus, um, but um, you know, maybe pre-detection um, uh, tools, stuff like that. And so, 
there is a big global effort, and part of the thing that the World Health Organization said then was, is that their fear was for folks, you know, emerging and um, third world type countries, as they didn't have the technology to check people as they come through the country effectively. So you could have people coming through a normal legal immigration type method, but they didn't have the the measurements in place to actually check them. So you could see it spreading into these middle uh, emerging type first uh, third world type nations, uh, and that was a big fear then. So watching that, I think is going to be interesting to see. You know, if you if you see you know maybe some southern America, South America, or African nations where all of a sudden they can't test it as appropriately, it starts spreading there. That could be a problem that that's kind of the phase two, if you will. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, so I, I just asked uh, those questions really out of curiosity more than anything. But have you covered uh, any of that more in depth on any of the other podcasts so that we could? Uh, yeah, we talked about the too? coronavirus a little bit today on Energy Week and kind of the impact on the the oil markets. And you know, it's some interesting stuff going on with oil markets because you know China on one hand is cut it, you know Sinopec cut its refinery throughput by twelve percent for February, but then the next week they started buying a bunch of oil. And so you go, well, why are they buying the oil? The oil is cheaper. So they could be buying the oil because the oil is cheaper, and they think that that's kind of the bottom level, the resistance level or whatever the technical trading term is. You know, We're kind of at the bottom. Or they could be buying the oil to keep the oil price from dropping too much because they don't want the markets to be uh, fearful of what's going to happen. You know, So you don't really know some of these signals right now. It's hard to figure out what's going on with it. Didn't I read that the Chinese, were uh, they, uh, they got caught uh, buying a bunch of oil from Venezuela? Um... Maybe, <laughs> maybe. So China's stance on that is, they don't, uh, they do not. Um, a unilateral sanction that if the United States has a unilateral sanction between like you know the U.S. and Iran, Iran, they do not abide by that. Uh, they don't. They don't consider that binding to them. Um, if it's from the UN, they claim that they would. They would. They would. Uh, they would uh, abide by. Now, I'm not saying that, that they would or wouldn't, but that is that is kind of how they view things. So the uh, the the Venezuela stuff that's that's unilateral, isn't it? I know the Iranian stuff is. I think the Venezuela stuff. So so from their perspective, yeah. sometimes they're not actually breaking the sanctions. Yeah, you know that's interesting because I mean, you know, obviously politically, I, I understand that, but you know, the Chinese at this point they've got a significant you know domestic footprint within the United States, and so. You know, there's there's more at risk than just hey, I'm you know we're over in China and, right. and you know come get come get us if you want to. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of domestic operation that that's that's interesting that they look at it that way. Yeah, it is. And you know, <laughs> speaking of China, I just want to say right now we've missed our calling. Okay, I don't know if you saw this article or not. We could have been making twenty eight million dollars a month, friend. Twenty eight million a month. I mean, where was the phone call? What happened? What, what? Uh, the phone call came from the U.S. District Federal Attorney in Pennsylvania arresting <laughs> five gentlemen from Dallas for illegally selling, uh, well, they never did, but, uh, but trying to sell Iranian oil to China. Yes. Yep. Yep. I read, I, I, put, I put that on LinkedIn. If you, if you followed me, you probably saw that. Yep. <laughs> I don't know why we can't find deals like that. Maybe because they're black market. But the yeah, black market's looking maybe. appealing. I'm just saying right now. You know, I'll I'll take I'll take my fees and and stay out of the federal the federal pen. I mean, that's just a me thing. You know, everybody has to make that decision themselves. Oh, I am I have not, will not, have not, will not ever thought about even considered about breaking a local federal municipal law. Um, it's an abomination against mankind, and you know I wholeheartedly you, condemn those people you know despite what? what I put on Twitter. Despite what I put on Twitter, that was satire. I, I think you missed your calling as an attorney, is what I think. I think that's. I think that was your calling. Yeah, I would be disbarred first day. Like, <laughs> I would be disbarred first day. <laughs> uh, I was talking to an attorney the other day, and I said, "Hey, man, I am so jealous because he's talking about arguing this case. Like, God, can I just come in and sit there and just argue? I just want to cross-examine one witness, just one witness, just one, just one, just delay the hammer to him, but." Yeah, no, oh I don't. Oh my god, I got I wish I I I hope I hope I never get cross-sexed by you. That would be <laughs> whew. Whew. Talk about a hot seat. So, do we do we want to talk about all the black market deals we've done on this podcast or we want to wait for that offline? Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about your blood diamonds that you've been selling recently. Okay. 
<laughs> what, what, I need more. I mean, I mean, I need more context. Which, but, uh, which blood damage? <laughs> yeah. Which, which, which? Specifically, which one are we talking about? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Before I incriminate myself for yeah, uh, yeah, you, the, you, the wrong you, question, you want to go down for the wrong blood diamond. <laughs> but you know, it, I mean, it, if I'm going to go down, I better have done it. Yeah, exactly. It, it is funny though because you you think about making money and you think about opportunities and finding opportunities. And when you talk about the term off market deals, not black market deals, but off market deals, um, and it's funny because we like to live in the world of off market deals because off market deals offer more upside because they're not publicly known about. Well, the truest of true off-market deal <laughs> is the black market deal. <laughs> you know? It's, this is true. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And so it's a high-risk, high-reward game for those who are, who are brave enough to play it. Um, but, you know, when you, when you think about, you know, where you want to be in the business space, um, obviously the off-market deal has different risks, though, too. And again, not black market, but off-market deal. It has different risks because um, everything's a little bit more secretive. you got to have, you know, if you're going to go buy a house through a real estate agent, the state has issued real estate forms, you know, through the real estate commission and everything's kind of cut and dry. So there's a lawsuit, you know, there's kind of a step in procedure. Off market deals aren't that, aren't that clear, which is why it kind of deters people from getting into the space because, you know, the risks aren't exactly clearly as clearly defined. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, what you're looking at is, you know, in terms of the broker deals or the or the deals that you see on like EnergyNet and, and those kind of websites, energy advisors versus off-market deals, the key being and something that we talk about, I think, on every single podcast. We're on what is it, episode like 26, 27 at this point, and we're, we're we're getting up there. And you know, I think we talk about it every single time, but it comes down to the strength of your network because the key in off-market deals is that you have to be able to bring it directly to an end buyer or someone that you know that, that can take down the deal and you have to have that relationship quote unquote off market meaning that you can't be putting these deals on LinkedIn or, or you know advertising for them or putting them on a platform because that you know by by default would make it not an off market deal right and so in order for you uh, for someone to really get into that space and transact you know at, at a at a consistent level you need to have the network and have you know have an idea of okay so if i'm looking at this deal I'm going to take it to you know these couple of buyers or, or what have you, and if you don't have that back end, then you're, you know you're spinning your wheels a lot because you're or, or or you're taking haircuts on every deal because you know you know like Orion Ray, and so you call Ryan when you have those deals that he but he's going to take you know, you're going to take it to your network, and then you know uh, if I'm the guy that had the deal rather than taking down you know a lion's share of the equity, now I'm just taking off you know carving off a small piece because I've handed most of the upside to you. Yeah, which you would love, but no, I would love to split it fifty-fifty with you. So that's what I would love. Oh, that's what I'd love. Aww. That's exactly what, that would make me happy. I like that. I like that oil uh, Derek picture in the back. By the way, the pump jack. Yeah, that's pretty. That's the horse that. I like that. I don't. Yeah. I feel like that's new. I feel like that's a new. Yeah. Like so it. we're 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 getting ready to build a standalone studio in that corner over there. So we flipped the conference room table. Uh, the the I used to sit right here. Uh, where the whiteboard is. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're looking at a different angle. So, um, so yeah, it is new on the wall. No, it's been on the wall. But uh, but yeah, you couldn't see that portion of the room. I gotta make it out to the office one time. I mean, you haven't invited me yet, but you know, I'm just gonna invite myself. So back to off market deals. Um, <laughs> let's talk about that. You know, one of the things you mentioned was building a network, and that's that's the hard part. On it, it's. How do you build the off-market network? So I know we got a guest coming up here in just uh, nine minutes, it looks like. So, you know, you've built a pretty good network. You do it kind of, as you say, under the radar. You know, you know how do you go about building that network in, um, you know, a few practical steps before we get Jay on here in a minute? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what, you know, what industry, what niche, what, you know, what you're talking about, and, and also – you know, the, the general deal size, you know, are, are you talking about deals that are, you know, 50,000 to a quarter million, or, you know, are you talking about deals that are in the you know, million to 10 million, 10 million plus, et cetera, because that's going to dictate you know, how you kind of go about you know, making, making those connections. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's about being upfront, being honest. You know, one of the things, I don't know if you saw it, actually, I think you posted on it, but I might be wrong. Um, a couple of weeks back, maybe a week and a half ago, somebody made a post, um, that I forget exactly, but basically they had a friend who had been, this was back in the nineties, had been approached by Walmart 
and Walmart was trying to do something where they needed to, to staff up, but they wanted to hire a team to do something. And the guy, basically, he had a three-man team, but he uh, had a buddy who owned a call center. Uh, the call center had like a couple of hundred employees. And so the guy set up the meeting with Walmart in his, his buddy's office to kind of show that he had like this huge operation when it was really only three people. Uh, and, and he ended up getting the contract um, based on that notion that he was much larger than he was. It ended up working out. But the, the post was, and it's one of those generic posts that you see on LinkedIn that gets a ton of traction, ton of likes, and it's just like this motivational thing. And I totally, took it the totally opposite direction or totally opposite way. I mean, you know, it's good that in this example that this guy uh, painted, it worked out well and worked out for everybody. But those are the kind of things that in our business, you know, if, if you promote something or if you if you say you can deliver on something and you have no hope of doing it unless you can just kind of pull it together at the last minute so you know it's not actually buttoned up, that can really blow up in your face quickly. And so that was a long-winded example. But the reason I bring that example to the forefront is because in this space, you know, if I if I go to a mineral buyer, if I go to a private equity firm, or if I go to you know a, a small MA shop and I say, hey, I can deliver X, Y, or Z deal or you know, here's what my network can provide, and then I'm not able to actually back that up with anything. You really in these in these relationships, you only get one. I mean, what I mean by that is, if you know, if, if you mess up or if you fumble the first one, you you may have lost that connection. And so it's important to really you know do do your due diligence um, and be be specific. I, mean, I know you and I have talked about this a lot all, offline about kind of how to organically make these relationships because at the end of the day. You know, um, we're in a we're in a space, especially in the energy market. For those of you listening to oil and gas, but you know the the broker or the guy in the middle. I mean, those are the guys that get hit the hardest, the quickest, right? Because the you know they they're the quote unquote the ones that are providing. This is arguably, I mean, I, I can sit, talk about this at length, but for the sake of this conversation, they're the ones that are providing the, the least amount of value in the process, just in terms of making the connection. Uh, and those guys used to be able to kind of set their own fee structure and, and negotiate their own terms. But a lot of that, you know, a lot of these firms are basically going to the, you know, I'm not paying brokers model, or you know, we're going to pay them, but pay them as, as absolutely, you know, small as you know, minimal as possible. Um, the way you combat that is again by strength of relationship. And so there's no like secret sauce. You know, I know this is a long answer, but I mean, it's a really textured question. That I'm like, again, you know, I point back to if you want to hear more on this. I don't know off the top of my head which which episodes there are, but we've talked about this dynamic quite a bit on the podcast. But it's it's um, more about you know if you say you can deliver on something, deliver on it, and, and that I think that in and of itself will probably set you apart from quite a bit of the group. And I would only caveat I'd add to that is say you can deliver on it, and then say you're not sure you can deliver on it. And here's what I mean: um, if you have the network, say hey, I have the network for this, I can't promise you they're going to want it. Because that's a fundamental distinction. Because um, saying that you have the network, saying you have the connections, saying that you can bring it to the people and get it in front of them, and you can pitch it the best—that's all fine and dandy. It doesn't mean that they're going to want it. And and sometimes, um, you know, I had a conversation a while back with someone. I said, you know, I think I can do this, but again, I, I think I, I can do it from the standpoint of yeah, I know the people that might be interested, da da da. But I can't promise you they're actually going to want this asset. Like me, you know, and, and that's something else that you have to be vulnerable. To, to, but it, but there's there's a lot of truth in that because. You know, if you have a, you, did, you know, there's a Lamborghini for sale every day that not every, that, that every accredited buy, investor is not going out buying a Lamborghini because they don't want one. So having a Lamborghini is nice, but doesn't mean everybody, everybody wants one. So you also, I think, you need to have the confidence, the network, the ability to execute. But then let the, let the seller know, hey, I, I, can't, I can't promise it because th- I can't promise you that everyone's going to want what you, what you have to offer. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and um, a counterpoint to that is if you look at it from the reverse way, and again, you and I have talked about this quite a bit online, especially in the mineral space, um, you know, one of the things, so for those of you listening, uh, anybody that has done mineral deals, uh, you, you'll understand this probably better than most. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mineral buyers out there. I think all of them will tell you that they pay top dollar, they're the most aggressive, they run the quickest title, they're, you know, uh, they're, you know, they have the most value all of these things. But at the end of the day, if all thousand uh, companies that are doing the same thing tell you that they're, you know, they're the best, there's a break in the model there. The reason I say it that way is because when you come to these mineral owners or sorry, mineral buyers uh, from the deal side, if you don't have the relationship built and the trust there, 
you know, the conversation goes something like this. Okay. Uh, you know, Ryan, who owns a mineral shop, uh, you know, if I, if I were able to find a deal, you know, would you be interested in maybe buying it? Your response is, yeah, you know, send me what you have. Um, and then, you know, if I can't get any kind of direction in terms of what that deal looks, looks like, then I don't have any, you know, I have, I have nothing to go on. And so it's just about kind of throwing things at the wall and hoping, you know, to see what sticks. Whereas if you have the relationship built on the front end, uh, you, you know, you may be able to come to that mineral buyer and they would, you know, they would give you something much more close to, close to, you know, if you find this sized asset in this area under these operators and it's under this price, I'd love to do a deal. And then that way you can go back to your network and actually find the deal that fits the box as opposed to just trying to spin your wheels. And, and you know, but, the, but at the same time, there's a lot of buyers that won't provide that until you're, you know, in, in the, in the door, so to speak. And so it's kind of a catch 22 a little bit. And up next we have on now that Ben stopped talking, thankfully, uh, I guess the person that I've got to know a little bit over the last few months, uh, <laughs> the CEO of King Operator, former owner of the Texas Rangers, Jay Young. Jay, how's it going, sir? Hey, good, Ryan. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Um, it is good. good to have you on. Jay, why don't you, for folks who aren't familiar with you, give a quick 30-second bio of who you are and where you fit into the industry. Well, I'm a, my family's been in the oil and gas business for over 100 years which uh, sounds like a long time. I feel like I've been in it a hundred years sometimes, <laughs> Ryan, to say the truth. But, um, you know, we come from the oil and gas space. We um, are, you know, we are very opportunistic when we talk about oil and gas assets and what we do for a living, which we'll get into a little bit, a little bit later. Um, but we love buying assets. We've got a great track record of what we've done in the past and where we're going in the future which we are extremely excited about. And we are just dumbfounded about this coronavirus and the Dow's down a thousand points today. Oil and gas is down. Oil is down $2. We're going back to 52 and, uh, and what's going on. So I look forward to hearing, hearing all about this. I wrote a book, <laughs> I wrote a book called the upside of yes. oil and gas investing. Yes. If I had a copy here, I'd show it to you and, and I don't have one, but if I did, I would, is my copy uh, here but it's a Forbes Think that the Forbes book, I can get one from somebody. Yeah, here I don't know in a second, but I have to. Here, at the house, but uh, so let's let's let's. I'll get one here in a second. Okay, so let's go back here. So one of the things we were just talking about on the show was, um, you know, off market deals and kind of getting. We're talking about black market deals actually, <laughs> black market versus off market. No, no, off market deals. Getting into the off market deal space and, and how hard that is because you have to have a network. So Jay, obviously you've been hugely successful and met a lot of people. Your family's been in the business for quite some time, as you said, over a hundred years. Um, tell us what you know about you know building your network, growing your network, um, especially inside the space, and, and what are the things that, from your perspective, help separate those people who are able to get in there and help folks by having the right kind of network? Right. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, that is so important in life, and and it's kind of like you know where where do you go to school, and 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 how much. How much is it worth to go to the right type of school? Because, you know, your network that you can go to. I mean, there's people that have gone to SMU that have has raised 100% of their equity with their alumni group. Just just their alumni group of people that they've been around. You know, as long as you are a, I mean, you can't go out and drink and drug and, you know, do all this kind of stuff and expect people to, to um, so we can get to that first. You know, you need to be somewhat, you know, of a person that is good integrity and somebody that, that trusts you, you know, especially when you're talking about their money, they need to be able to trust you, but it's also who you know, but also how you treat them and what kind of person do they think you are. You don't need to be somebody that, that's out there drugging or, you know, partying. And I mean, as soon as, soon as you do that, as soon as you use you know, foul language or which I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty, you know, um, but, uh, especially with Ryan, but you're going to ruin my squeaky Ryan, clean image here. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Ryan brings that up. Ryan Brian brings that up to everybody. Oh man. Yeah. But you know, when you, when you have a good network of people and they trust you and you can raise a lot of equity from, from investors like this, that are people that, that, you know, they trust you and that 
you know, they'll, they'll give you their money or, you know, they'll invest their money with you. I mean, that's, that's big. Where do you get that network from? You know, I mean, friends, family, churches, um, you know, your alumni group. I mean, that's why, you know, if you go to a great school, you know, like SMU or Oklahoma or all these have great, great alumni groups. I went to the school can, of hard knocks. You can what is, how does, how does that work? How, how does it work for you? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> a lot of At T-Mobile for Business, unconventional thinking means we see things differently so you can focus on what matters most. That's why we've become the leader in 5G, number one in customer satisfaction, and a partner who includes 5G in every plan. So you get it all. Unconventional thinking is better for business. Open Signal awards T-Mobile as America's fastest 5G network USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Like Barn is stealing. <laughs> There's a lot of alumni. <laughs> they ain't funding my deals. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I know, I know. So, uh, so go you ahead. know, it, it's it, but it's about your integrity, and it's about what you, you know, how how do you see yourself, and, and how do you want people to see you? You know, my wife has helped me with that because I'm like, not the best in the world at times, but uh, it is something that that you know, it's 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 reaching out there. And it's learning about not only, you know, you know, who you are, but also what you need to say to people. How do you attract them? How do you attract people? You know, so I know that's a kind of a, I want to know what your, ask me more specifically and I'll, I'll be glad to go over. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I found um, in, in the energy space, um, you know, so, so my history, I've actually, I haven't raised any traditional private equity uh, money. I've, I've got, we can talk about that at length uh, for a number of different reasons. Um, but one of the things that I found in the energy space is that there, you know there's a lot of guys, a lot of the old guard that have made their money that are you know more than happy and, and almost seeking out you know the ability to, to invest in kind of the newer generation and, and give them some you know growth capital and, and, and ride along and, and uh, you know just kind of be invested in the success of the new generation. And, and I, you know, I love that dynamic. And I don't think that that's, I think that that's kind of unique to the energy space. Uh, Jay, would you, I mean, would you echo that? Would you echo that sentiment? Absolutely. I mean, it, it is a, it's a tough market to do no matter how much, how much money you need in what industry, right. And, mm-hmm. and how hard is it to do it? But once you have a track record, you know, I would, I, I always tell people say, look, man, you need to go to work for another company for five years get somewhat of a, of some experience behind you, you know, get your network together, but don't rely on it a hundred percent because man, when you're, when you're older and you need that and you need that, um, you know, to stay alive, I mean, you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, it, it's obviously harder to do. Yeah. You so, know, so, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. So, so, um, one of the things that, um, you know, it's been interesting since the, I guess, I guess we probably first met, uh, I don't know, what, six months ago or something since we've been talking, is um, just kind of listening to, to some of the things that, that you have and, 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 and kind of people that you know and, and being in this business. Um, from from someone like my perspective who doesn't have 100 years uh, plus family history of the oil and gas business, I mean, my dad was in it before I was in the kind of same uh, similar capacity to what I am, so um, not like you are, which is a lot closer to you know drilling and, and production stuff like that. Um, but you've also seen, you, you mentioned you know having the benefit of college and stuff like that. But you're also seeing now, it feels like, and not just in oil and gas, but across the the all the industries, which is this this push for conventional norms to be done differently. And so, um, folk, I'm 34, so folks that are a little younger than me are pushing harder for it. Folks that are closer to your age are probably wanting the norms to stay the same. The same, But we're all kind of in this spot to where we're, we're trying to figure out how do we move forward because how it was done with the invention of, um, of horizontal drilling and fracking and new technology coming to the gas market, things are shifting. And it's kind of hard to know right now how to you know, where to put your chips in at, because you don't know what's going to, you know, what is going to turn up in two weeks, you know, you know, what's, you know, how much longer will oil prices be low? You've been in a long time, you've seen a lot of ups and downs, you've seen a lot of industry changes. How do you evaluate that moving forward going, you know, okay, listen, um, this is the space we want to be in. This is the political climate that we've seen before. Um, How much of that is kind of gut based versus, you know, you've kind of been there or how much of it is, 
Um, no, you really have to go and, and you know, and, you know maybe, maybe more fundamentals and, and take um, almost your perspective out of it and go to maybe outside sources. Well, the way I see the industry and what's going on right now, I mean, you're seeing, you know, they say with the with the coronavirus, you're seeing a lot of out of um, demand go go come off the market, okay, because of travel and things that nature. Four percent, you know, in China. So, you know, you're you're seeing a lot of this. So oil prices are going down. But what what happened in the end of 2018 and in 2019? There were a lot of companies out there, and there's there's like Matador. Their their market cap was 3.7 billion at the top. There were 3.7 billion today. They're billion two, a billion three. They're down 30, 40 percent. I mean, I'm sorry, they're down 60 to 70 percent. The 30 percent of what their market cap was. I mean, all companies across the board are going down in value, down in value, down in value. It doesn't matter if oil prices are up or down. They continue to slide. Well, what happened was you have investment bankers and investment bankers go to these companies like Matador and say, hey, what are you guys going to do with, if I get you 400 million, what are you going to do with 400 million? They said, we're going to drill as many wells and we're going to increase the values and we're going to, and wells come in just like all these other wells come in and oil prices are at $60 a barrel and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So investment bankers get their stories from these oil and gas companies and then they go sell them to these, you know, pension funds or, or all the, the stock market or whatever. And they get all this money from them. And all of a sudden about a year, two years down the road, they go, wait a minute, you guys said these wells are going to come in at this and oil prices are going to come in at this. And then our cash flows, we're going to do this. You could drill this many wells per 640 acres. You can't drill that many wells per 640. You're only drilling you know, eight wells instead of 12 or whatever. So you're seeing a stop in the market. So, man, they slammed on the brakes at the end of 18 and 19. We had that asset that we sold a third of an asset and we gave clients back 131% returns in less than 12 months. So we gave clients back 131% returns. Some are 15 months, like eight to 15 months when we, when we raised the money. So less than Let's say 15 months, we gave clients back 131%. We took two-thirds of that asset, along with some more equity and some more debt and some more acreage, and we started drilling with some with our with our, our money that we had available to us. We took it up to 194 million bucks. I got a reserve report under somewhere. It shows 194 million dollars right here. So we did all of that in less than two years, where we increased the value from from, um, you know, initially was $6 million and we went all the way up to $194 million by adding equity and debt. And man, it was going great. And I was telling, I was telling our lender, I won't mention their names, uh, Oak Tree, but I won't mention their name, but <laughs> Oak Tree, but if I did mention their name, I'm really mad at them. I'm really mad at them, Oak Tree, but I'm not going to mention their names because they probably, you know, wouldn't want me to. But, you know, if, if poetry was going to be your lender, I wouldn't have suggested. But, you know, it kind of pissed me off because, man, I, I came to them and I said, hey, you know what? It's a good time to sell. And, and they said, this is the end of, end, of, uh, end of 18. They said, no, man, hey, you guys are doing great. Man, you took $6 million to $8 million and you give clients back money and you raise some more additional equity and you raise some debt. You're at $194 million. And you're going to Pluto. And I said, well, hey, man, it's only gas business. You know, it's cycle, cycles, and you never know what's going to happen. They go, man, hey, we'll talk about it next quarter, the next three months. So the next three months, guess what happened? I don't have to tell you what what I, I mean, you know, oak tree. But so <laughs> it, they made me really mad. Well, we'd have made a fortune. We would have made a fortune. My family would have, but my investors would have made a fortune. So then, but the good news is, is that, I'm on here still pitching because Oak Tree didn't let me sell and I'm still looking for money, right? <laughs> if there is any good news in this whole thing right here, man, it's me meeting Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels. Well, you know, I wouldn't and, go so far as pitching. Ben, but yeah. At the age of 57. <laughs> at the age of 57, I'm still pitching. Thank you, Oak Tree. Oak Tree. We appreciate anyway, that. So, hey, hey uh, yeah, Nate, really, can you, can you put... Any names. 
No, Nate, can you put the Oak Tree label right here? Sponsored by right here. We have mentioned their name more than ten times on this podcast. So anyway, we did that, and we 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 uh, did not sell. But that's that's what happens in this oil and gas game, right? I mean, you're drilling, you're increasing values. But man, when it gets up there, man, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and it would have been great for my investors because they'd have, you know, we we just spent out 120 million or 30 million to them and it would been it'd been awesome for them, but we didn't we didn't do that. So you'll see what's going on right now. Markets, credit markets just went kaplooey. And so when when markets happen that nature, then what happened was your markets you had a credit crunch. No money's going out to these oil and gas operators. We're looked at the bad guys because the oak trees of the world you know, they get their money from these pension funds and they're blaming us because of, you know, all this stuff and it's our fault. And, you know, and so everybody's just mad at each other. So you see that. And what you're seeing right now is you're seeing about 300 less rigs drilling for oil and gas right now than you did a year ago. Look at it. Look at the one year ago, you're seeing 300 less, 1,200 rigs total, about mm-hmm. 325, 30% less rigs drilling for oil and gas right now. What you're seeing is, you're seeing all these less rigs drilling for oil and gas. And guess what happens when you have that many rigs, that many less rigs drilling for oil and gas? Guess what's going to happen in six to nine months? No oil's going to come out of the ground because you're not drilling. And shell production goes down. The best day of a shell well is the very is the first day. Tomorrow it's not going to do as much as it did the next day. I mean, it just decreases in production. That's what oil and gas does with shell production is it declines. That's just that's just life, and that's what happens. So you're going to see shell wells decline. You're going to see rigs, three or less rigs on the market. And all of a sudden, at the end of this year, you're going to see 65 even $75 oil because of that. You know, don't even worry about this coronavirus or oak tree. doesn't matter about <laughs> coronavirus or oak tree. I love how we're putting coronavirus $75. and oak tree in the same line. <laughs> Sponsored by. Damn. Listen. Either the world's going to be ended by oak tree or coronavirus. I'm not sure which one, but Jay's convinced me. One of the two. (laughs) One of the two. Sounds like a deadly combo. Yeah. (laughs) The oak tree coronavirus. So, yeah, no, I, I, wow. think, I think that you're, you're right about the price going up at the end of the year. Um, uh, you know, it would take something pretty catastrophic, it would seem, for that not to happen, um, which is why I'm assuming you are, you mentioned raising a fund um, for a new deal you're working on. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we, we've gone out and leased a lot of acreage, and we bought an oil field in, in Colorado, and this oil field has already produced 8.5 million barrels of oil. It's already produced eight and a half million barrels. It's not it's not unconventional where you have to go drill real long laterals and frack and and it's you call six and a half, seven and a half million dollars to drill a well. We have a lot of those locations, but we're not gonna drill those initially. What we're doing initially is we're gonna take twenty five million dollars and we're gonna increase the value of some of low hanging fruit. A lot of these wells were drilled in the seventies the 60s and 70s, and they were only they were only producing out of the top um, 10 to 15 feet. Let me show you right here. We got we got something right here. I think this Zoom TV is pretty pretty cool. <laughs> I can just show you things right here. There you go. I can go get my book. There you go. But anyway, so you can see this right here. You know, there, there's 80 feet of oil in these wells, and there's like 75 wells that have been drilled out here that have produced eight and a half million barrels of oil. So what we're doing is there's 80-foot column, and they only perforate the top 10 or 15 feet. Why? Because you, you do that. You perforate the top you know, 10 to 15 feet initially, but then what we're going to do is we're going to go in and we're going to open up the whole entire section. And to open up the whole entire section, we should get fifty to 100,000 barrels of oil per well. And we're going to do that with this $25 million bucks. We're going to initially buy the field. We're going to do the reworks. We're going to sidetrack a couple of wells, drill a couple of new wells. And with that, we should get our crude reserves up to 75 to $100 million. And at that rate, we'll go back in, get a credit, get a bank debt, a RBL, reserve-based loan, not from Oak Pro Tree. Tree. Not Oak that we're saying anything bad about Oak Tree or <laughs> whatever this company is. We'll get a reserve-based loan, and we'll, we'll, we will increase. We'll, we'll have $75 million credit 
We'll have a $75 million reserve report. Then we'll go back in and get a reserve-based loan, increase the value again. We should get, we could get back up to $200 million. If we do the same thing we did before, clients can make like a four to one, five to one in about two to three years. So I know, Ryan, we talked about initially I was going to raise $100 million, but then I was talking to one of my friends here, Bobby Lyle, School, Lyle School of Engineering, and, and Bobby said, Jay, don't raise, don't, you don't need 100 million bucks. Be focused, focus. And he said, focus on 25 million, go in here, do some low hanging fruit initially, drill some wells, get some production, and then go get a credit facility. That's what he did. I mean, he sold for, what did he sell for? 400 and something million dollars to mm. Interplus. You know, and now he's got his name on Boy Scout camps and <laughs> Lyle School of Engineering at SMU and all this stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, not saying anything bad. He's he's extremely brilliant, but he didn't he didn't you know sell all his equity. And so, if we for twenty five million dollars, we have ten thirty ones, we have qualified funds, and we also have LP interest available. So, if you're going through a ten thirty one, we have a DST qualified funds, meaning you have qualified money, or if you'll write a check and get a hundred percent write-off, which a lot of people in California love that, you know, love that, then you can you can participate on the program. But we have a short-term, you know, two to three-year program where we can come in. Initial equity is twenty-five million. With fifty million dollars, we'll go drill some long laterals, frack some wells, increase the value. If we get to three thousand barrels a day and seventy-five thousand dollars per flowing barrel, that's about two hundred and $40 million and clients can make, can make some money. So Ben, uh, you okay. got, you're up next, but before we go any further, I guess we should say this is for entertainment air quotes purposes only. <laughs> this is not a, where this is not financial or legal advice. Please consult your own attorneys because the communists who run this country will try to get you for something. However, Jay would probably love to entertain you with more details if you were to give him a call or hit him up on his website. Yeah, so <laughs> we don't want to. Absolutely. King operating. Yeah. Kingoperating.com. But no, but yes, don't, I mean, you know, make sure you can afford it. We only take accredited investors right. only, which is, right. you know, your net worth sure. over a million and make money. Guys like, guys like you, you and Ben. We don't take advantage. Yeah, no, you and Ben. Okay, go ahead, Ben. What, what you got? I was actually going to make an accredited investor comment, but I, I, I won't. Um, <laughs> Jay, I'm curious, you know, you, you alluded to uh, you having, uh, having family history in the business for, for quite some time. Uh, you know, I, I know a little bit about your background as well. Uh, you know, what, what words of advice or kind of what comes to mind, I guess, uh, you know, w- when thinking about some of these, you know, young, young money, new guys breaking into space and looking to you know, to kind of rework or, or re-engineer the wild, the wildcatter model, you know, the, you know, the wildcatter game, so to speak, has changed so significantly you know, over the years uh, with the, you know, the ups and downs of the market, et cetera. Well, you know, what might you be looking at if you were you know, going out there trying to raise a fund to do a new, you know, new drill these days? Without the track record. So you're, yes. you're, yeah. So your, 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 uh, question is, personal advice, what would actually. I recommend? <laughs> Some personal advice to somebody trying to raise a fund? Well, for Ben specifically, he's trying to, he, he Ben's wanting free coaching no. here. I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I'm just joking. Uh, no, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of guys out there that, uh, you know, that are looking to, uh, you know, take advantage of, of the distressed assets out there and, and buy, you know, pennies in the dollar, which is something that, you know, we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast, but, uh, you know, for those guys maybe looking to allocate some capital to, to uh, proving up a new field, you know, in this environment, in this market, what are, um, not necessarily even just on the capital side, but just in general, what, what are some things that, uh, you know, based on your experience, you, you'd have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult to raise money, and it's very difficult to get out there and, and raise a fund because people don't know who you are, if you're brand new, or, you know, it's... It, if they don't know who you are, and also too, I mean, so you're going to take my money and you're going to go do what? And what experience do you have? Because man, the old business is difficult. I mean, it it's not an easy, it's not it's not like real estate. Man, I mean, I I marvel about that, and I I I took a left turn after college because you know back before y'all were born, I graduated from college, and then what I did, you know, and then what I did, I went to stock market because my my granddad, and my dad were like. Man, it's old business. This is in the early 80s, mm-hmm. you know, when oil and gas prices were, you know, crap. I don't know if I can say crap on here. You can right? say whatever you want to, yeah. Oak Creek. Oak Creek crap. But anyway, so, <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. And so they, uh, uh, you know, and 
I almost went to real estate. I was like, man, I went to the stock market first and I almost went to real estate or oil and gas. And I'm like, man, you know what? Real estate is so much easier, you know, because of, but they're, they're, the upside is not as good. The, the swings in oil and gas are so much better. So anyway, you're not asking me that. What you're asking me is, is how do you get involved and how do you get, it, it's hard to come up with a new fund and know what you're going to get. And that's why there's so many different deals out there. And that's why there's so many promoters out there that just go, Hey, I can go in business and I can, I can do this. And if Jay Young can do this, man, anybody can, you know, and I guess I haven't given them enough, you know, knowledge or whatever. <laughs> and they think I'm, I'm just a whatever, but it does take a lot. So I would not try to do this, you know, at home or no, I wouldn't try to do this on your own. Cause it is, it is a tough, tough business. That's why I'm saying, you know, go to work for somebody and, and get as much experience as you can. I mean, five years, going to work for somebody that, that, you know, teaches you what you want to do in life. I mean, I went to work for a, a guy that initially that, that, uh, you know, taught me how to put deals together and sell deals, but you know what? I wish I'd have gone to work for an apartment complex or apartment guy that knew how to do apartments, you know, because then it would have been a lot better or maybe go to work for a private equity company. Mm-hmm. You go to work for a private equity company and learn, you know, hey, what does it take to get, what does it take to make money? In this market, it's very, very tough to make money. If you do it like I do, yes, the upsides are, are incredible and you can make a lot of money, but you got to learn a lot first. You know, don't go out there and just say, hey, I'm going to go out there and we'll raise a fund and I'm going to go buy some distressed assets and we're going to, and I'm going to be around in two to three years. Most of those guys aren't. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, we're, not, we're not all Ryan, we're not all Ryan Rays. Wow. We, we can only aspire wow. to be. Yeah, can we clip that, put that as the intro of the show? We can believe yeah. that. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting <laughs> because one of the things that I'm working on actively, and, and I hadn't said it publicly, but since you brought up a few times, um, is I'm actually working on transitioning. I have some old real estate dealings in the past, back when I was in Louisiana, but I'm actually looking to get back into the real estate space. I think there's um, a lot of opportunity, but all the things that you mentioned um, make it extremely lucrative, tax benefits, stuff like that. But, you know, the, even in the real estate space, you have to, the real estate is a very capital intensive business. And because it doesn't have the upswings, like you mentioned, once you tie your money up, your money's tied up, you know, whereas with oil and gas, you might be able to get it in, you know, 12 months, 18 months, whatever, and get out with real estate, you go buy a big apartment complex. Okay, you might hit a home run every now and then, but you're probably, that capital is tied up for a long period of time. So even in real estate, the drawback there is you have to have some kind of machine to continue to either, you know, investors coming in or some kind of capital um, cash flowing asset that's going to, to, to fund it. So no matter where you go, there are pros and cons. I, I would just ask you this, um, Jay, though, because we're getting close to the time. One of the things that I've kind of learned, um, and I'm curious your thoughts, it seems like, from my perspective, most people, I know I am, I'm always interested in information. So when I go meet with Jay Young, I like to know, you know, what does Jay know? That's information that's valuable. Now, some things I can repeat, some things I can't, depending on, you know, what's confidential or not. But what I've learned is, is that if you want to, um, you know, for those guys who can't get the private equity business, uh, they can't do stuff, you know, the the, 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 the Ryan Rage of the world who are rubbing two wooden nickels together, um, trading information to me, it seems to be the most second most viable way to do something. Because if I can trade information with Jay, um, if I said, hey, Jay, did you, did you hear about this? Jay will almost always trade back or Ben or whomever. It's not about you, but you will always give me back something. So if I give you information, you give me back something. And that seems to be the way to close the gap on learning about something new or trying to get a foothold in the door is by trading information. Say, hey, I heard this the other day. You're going to probably say, oh, well, I heard this. And so um, if you don't have that SMU degree or whatever, that would be my suggestion is just learn to trade information because you can acquire a lot of information uh, by doing that, because whatever you tell me, I can go tell someone else as long as it's not confidential. What do you think about that, about the trading information to help get you where you want to be in life? It's always good to speak with people that have experience in a, in a given area or reading a book. You know, when, when you were saying that, and we were talking about a minute ago, it, it reminds me of the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, well, the good old, good old Jordan Belfort, you know, because Belfort, and I've, I've listened to some of his, his uh YouTube videos afterwards, and he he's a really smart guy because he knows that it's about sales, and it's about investment. His investment banking arm, and he, and he said this. He goes, man. He said when I was back there making you know million dollars a month or fifty million dollars a year and all the different things that he was doing, he had a great sales arm. 
where he was selling a lot of product. He was raising a lot of money for a lot of companies. And I think Steve Madden, I was, just, I, was, I was at the Galleria the other day getting an iPhone, a new iPhone, and I saw Steve Madden's shoes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's something that's, that, that touched Jordan Belfort that was worth it. Because the majority of the companies that he raised money for are just crap businesses, like like in the movies. And that's just the way. But he was raising money from a, a neat story. But and so a lot of people and a lot of promoters are doing the same thing. They have a great story, but their their product or their investments aren't worth it. And so that's what we've worked on the past five years is to really getting up to how do we deliver what we're talking to about our investors so we can have mm-hmm. long-term investors. So we have two different sides of our business. And that is number one, sales. You know, how do you raise money for oil and gas projects? How do we do the best we can by, by delivering on our story? And number two is the oil and gas assets and having the geologists, engineers and, and all that to make sure that we do when, when we do say, Hey, we're going to do this and this, that, that, that you are going to do it on the back end. So we have that product available and that, that um, we can deliver on that. And it is what we say we're, it is. Ben, anything okay. else? Okay. Uh, no, I, uh, no, go ahead. No, I said, okay. Yes, no, 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 no. It's up to you. you. Last question for you, Ben. Uh, ben wants to know if you will give Ryan a bunch of money. That's the official last question, Ben, right? Yeah, just give. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, well, no, can we at least get an answer? Can we at least get a question that might be a yes? I okay, mean, go, like, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Now, um, uh, what, what you need to do is send us, uh, send us a signed copy of the book, and we'll give it away. How about that? Can we get that for the listeners? That's a good idea. For me? Yeah, sign copy, so of, the sign copy of the book. Yeah, so we give it all to the oh, listeners. I'd love to. Okay. Absolutely. Right, so That'd be great, yeah. Hey, callkingoperating.com, J-R Young, J-Y-R, J-Young's taken. J-R-Young.com is uh, my website. You go in there and get a free copy of the book. I sign it, send it to you. Ben, I don't think you have a book either. You need to um, send me an email or something. I need I need your address. Hey, whoa, I'll send you a, whoa, whoa. I, a paid for, I paid for my copy. How does Ben get a free copy? I paid. My hard-earned wow, dollars. Man, I, well, all of that money went straight to charity. It yeah. went to veterans. So good, good for you, right? Yeah. Well, why don't you order two copies in Ben to support the veterans? I'll there you go. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> love to sign. Love to sign it. But come in and talk to us and uh, have lunch with us and let's go to Ranger Game. Yeah, and y'all are located yeah. over where Ben? Uh, where uh, Ben? Uh, Jay, where y'all located at? We are at uh, Preston and Campbell in North Dallas. We're just a little bit. West of Richardson, Dallas, or on that Collin County, where Preston and Campbell in a two-story building. Come see us. Okay. Well, Jay, thank you for coming on. I know it was short notice. We appreciate it. And uh, let us know how the deal progresses. And would love to hear, once you drill that first well, uh, to hear how everything came together. And Oak Tree, if you want to come on. To hear, to hear your, you know, if Oak Tree wants to come on, then, you know, we can have like a, like a debate or something. That'd be great, too. We're willing to sell the podcast. <laughs> Bidding starts at $2 million. <laughs> Jay, it was awesome. good talking That's to awesome. you. I think you. I think you owe me love. Thank you. So we'll cash that in soon. Good. Been nice meeting you. Hey, you as well. I'll, 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 or whatever, whatever, whatever you call this. <laughs> I'll give you a call next time I'm, I'm you know, in the DFW area. We'll, we'll have to circle up. Be great. Be great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. And right. that was Jay Young with King operating a uh, a friend of mine and someone who's not uh, not a friend of Ben's. So um, Ben, it was good though to get him on the show. I you know I'm working on it just like everything else. It just takes me a little bit of time, and you know we'll we'll, we'll get there. Um, I'm, you know I'm letting you take the lead. Yeah, you know as, as normal. I haven't ruined it yet, so there's that. At least you have an oak tree. You know, I, I, yeah, I, an oak tree I just would yet. like to say, before before we get off, I'd just like to say, Ryan, I was really impressed with the, your your skills today. You you, you nailed it. Uh, well done. Yeah, you, I, did, well, I mean, I was I was following your lead as usual. You were setting the pace, and I was just trying to keep up. I'm glad it didn't show. I, so. I didn't ruin you. No, it's just I mean, it's just effortless on your part. It's it's impressive. No, I mean, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's humbling to be on the podcast with you. So I appreciate I appreciate your time. It's uh, yeah. Well, um, I'm going to say something mean if you don't keep stuff going to stop now. So, Ben, it was good to have you on once again. Good to be back. <laughs> Jay Young, thank no, you. No, no, no. We have, we have another 10 minutes or so. We have another, like, 10 minutes of the podcast. Uh, Why no, are we no, we're past time. We're past time. Oh, that's a shame. Are you, are you sure? well past time. We will link to Jay's stuff in the <laughs> podcast notes. And, again, that was for entertainment purposes only. 
If you want to hear the rest of the entertaining story, reach out to King Operating and find out all the details. Ben, good to be back. We'll be back next week for March, the first podcast of March. That's crazy. So Unreal. Yes, sir. All right. Good talk to you, buddy. And listeners, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, sir. See you. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage is not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com.